Thanks for listening to the Pioneer Valley Church podcast. Our hope is that what you hear encourages your faith in the way of Jesus and inspires you to participate in what God is up to in the world. God bless. Turn on your Bible or flip open your Bible to Mark chapter 4. Um, we're going to go through. Uh, we're going to go through a little bit of scripture here. We're we're continuing our journey in this story of the good news. We've been studying out the good news. Mark chapter four, verse thirty-five. Mark writes this: That day, when evening came, he said to his disciples, "Let us go over to the other side." Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along, just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up. And the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drowned? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. We're continuing this series on uh, good news. We've been asking the question, what is the good news? And, and, and how does it show up in our lives? And how do we recognize it out among us? And we're looking to the Gospel of Mark to give us our cue in that journey. Mark is trying to capture his audience's imagination, and therefore our imagination as well, in such a way that we reconsider everything we've ever believed in. And all the ways that we've lived out our lives under those beliefs in light of this story of the good news of Jesus. And because Mark believes, I got a little slide, all right. Uh, because, of the, because Mark believes that the good news of Jesus is a particular type of good news. Now, if you do any study on good news in the Bible, the good news, it, was, it wasn't exclusive, that language, good news. It wasn't exclusive to even Christianity. It was, it, was, it was a message, kind of a royal message would be the idea to think of good news. It was a message about the king that was coming to his kingdom. A royal decree or maybe the celebration of birth of a son or the victory over war, of, of a war. It was, it was carried by a herald. One who told the story, in short, of the king and the kingdom's success. And they would travel throughout the land and share the good news of the king. Jesus stepping onto the scene in Mark chapter 1 and declaring that people should repent, or in other words, see things as God sees them, and believe the good news, or in other words, to trust in the story that he's about to put on display. And he was acting as both the herald and the king. Because this king didn't just send someone to share the good news. He came and embodied the good news. Mm -hmm. He brought himself to his kingdom to share himself with his people and to tell the story through his life. And he would tell a story, as we've read over the last couple weeks, of outsiders becoming insiders and new ways of viewing and doing things that would transform institutions and social norms and the mightiness of little things done with great love, as we talked about last week. But Mark is driving at several questions in all of this for his audience and therefore for us. And he wants us to wrestle with the questions over 
over his gospel. And we're going to just wrestle with one of those questions today. It's a question that we all have to look at in light of the good news that Jesus has come to tell. And the question that his disciples ask when these waves and these winds finally die down, it's the question, who is this? Who is this? The passage we just read, Jesus, if you read a little before, he's been preaching and teaching and healing and doing miracles. And his disciples have been right there with him. They've been right alongside. They've heard and seen him do powerful things. But now, now he does something he has not done up until this point. He shows his authority over creation, over winds and waves. And might I note, a little bit of a tone of a father there almost, right? Be quiet! <laughs> Mark is telling us something about this new view of Jesus that his disciples take on in this moment and its impact on their lives. And he says they're terrified. I looked up the Greek word for terrified in that passage. And its exact definition is terrified. They're, I know, it's low-hanging fruit, it's Father's Day, you got to give me a break. They're, they're afraid, they're afraid. They see someone suddenly more than a teacher, more than a rabbi, more than a prophet. In their imagination, images of Moses splitting the Red Sea would come to mind, right? In their imagination, they would think about Elijah over the Jordan, it would come to mind. But there's one image of water being tamed in their minds, in their journey, in their story, and how they framed life and all that life is and how it's come to be. There's one story of water being tamed in the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter one, where God's ruach, his spirit, was over the moving, was moving over the face of the water and controlling things. And then God, through his word, through Jesus, begins to bring order to creation. Could this be more than they, could this be someone more than they had imagined him to be? Could he be the God of Genesis. Who is this? And Mark is not just doing a, a historical account of, of Jesus' ministry. That's not what the gospel of Mark is, or really what any of the gospels are. They're not just historical accounts. They're not just like, and then he went to this town, and then he went to this town. Where did he go after that? What was on the calendar? Oh, yeah, then he went. To, that's not how they're, they're actually writing with an agenda, and they're creating and crafting each gospel a little differently to have an agenda towards their audience. He's asking us to examine the same question. Who is Jesus? Who is he in the story of humanity? Who is he in the story of Christianity? Who is he to us here today, sitting in a church Sunday morning on Father's Day in Chicopee, Massachusetts? And everything about you and everything about your life and everything about your past and your present and your future depends on how you answer that question. Who is this? Mark will go on to put on display throughout the, the coming pages some of the miracles, the miraculous powers of Jesus over the cosmos and over the spiritual realm. And if I can get that next slide, these are just a few of them. In Mark 4, we see obviously he's ruling over creation, the winds and the waves. Later on, he actually walks on the water. In Mark 5, he has power over the realm of the demonic and the spiritual realm. He's, he's, he's casting out demons. He goes to the unclean, to the demon-possessed, to the Gentiles, those who are actually 
spending time in madness and chaos amongst the tombs, unclean places for Jews to be. And he goes and he meets him there and he puts him in his right mind. He shows power and ruling over even the demonic powers. He says to that man, go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. Mark chapter 5, verse 21, he has power over disease and suffering. Aretha mentioned the story of the woman with the issue of blood who comes and just, just wants a touch of the hem of his garment. And he says to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. If that's not Exodus language, I don't know what is. If God freeing his people from the suffering. In Mark chapter 5, a little later, and in, actually in the middle of that story, he, he has power, he, he puts on display his power to rule even over death itself as he brings back Jairus' daughter to life. As, just to be clear, this wasn't a resurrection, right? She didn't have a new body when she came back to life. Still her body, but he, he overcame death in that moment and he brought her back to life. It's clearly something only God could do. There are 22 miracles in the book of, of Mark that, that put on Jesus' display to rule over all things, that he truly does have authority. And Mark wants to ask us, who is this? Who is this? As you read these stories, as you wrestle with the power of God, as you look at Jesus and all that he is, who is this to you? You know, I had to ask that question about 20 years ago as I, I was searching. I was looking for some sort of truth to anchor my life to. And I had moved from western Massachusetts out to Los Angeles. I drove 3,000 miles and, uh, and ended up finding Jesus there, which was not what I was going for, right? <laughs> Along the way, I was doing a lot of searching. And I was a musician and a skateboarder and, and just trying to get in, you know, into all kinds of different scenes. I lived right by the beach and a lot of trouble, you know, I brought a lot of trouble and seemed to find a lot of trouble. But I was reading about Buddha and I was doing a little bit of research on Hindu through the life of, you know, um, uh, Gandhi. And, and I, had, I had actually been reading my Bible quite a bit for a f couple of months trying to figure some of that out. And I had looked at all kinds of, you know, different things, universalism and so a couple different things. And, and I just thought, well, maybe I can just kind of in a humanistic way, just exercise better and really hold out for, to meet the right girl and just stop, you know, doing certain drugs or smoking or whatever. And just I'll just save myself, get myself right. right. And none of it was working. Right. And I just kept falling into the same hedonistic patterns of the culture of my day. And. I had been reading the Bible for a couple months, and I, I didn't really want to have anything to do with church, but I wanted to figure out who Jesus was. Because as I read the scriptures, and I read through the account of the Gospels, and then I read all this, this, the, this, the books that the people who had been with Jesus wrote about, I thought, man, these guys have a really clear picture of who Jesus is. And I want to figure out how to have that kind of clarity. Because if it transformed their lives in such a way that they... They, there was no question in their mind what it meant to live the good life. And they anchored themselves to that story and they lived it out. And now I'm still reading their stories 2,000 years later and wrestling with these questions of life. Man, I want to figure out from these guys who Jesus is. And I remember just wrestling and praying and, 
And I, I, I got into a community not unlike this com community of Christians, and we started to look at the scriptures, and people started to teach me about the way of Jesus. And for the first time, the power of Jesus to redeem and to transform and to reconcile became real to me. And I actually, I saw it in other people's lives before I saw it in my life, but I saw it in other people's lives, and I went, if they can do, I, I want, can I have some of that? And, and suddenly they were teaching me how to repent and how to see things God's way and how to trust in Jesus and the story of Jesus. And it transformed my life radically. The last thing, Rachel and I were talking about this the other day, the last thing you ever would have thought if you had met me in senior year or the summer after senior year of high school at a keg party in the woods or a cornfield somewhere around here, the last thing you would have thought was this guy's going to be in the ministry full-time someday. Right, right, right. God transformed my life because I found out who Jesus was. I learned the power of Jesus. He had power over everything, power over the demonic in my life, power over the parts of my life to calm storms I could not control, power to heal, power to bring me back to life in ways that I had died. I needed that kind of God. I made a decision to trust myself to that kind of God. And this isn't a question, though, that, that Mark asks us to wrestle with just once someday in our past. It's a question that he wants me to ask again and again and again and to wrestle with. Who is Jesus? And i got to tell you, I've probably had about four conversions in my Christianity. Uh, experiences, moments where just total repentance, removal of the old view of things, and a completely new way to look at who Jesus was, it just transformed me. And it changed the course of things, even as a follower of Jesus. I'm hoping for another five, maybe ten, before I leave the earth. I want more of those moments. I want to keep asking, who is this? And wrestling with that and transforming because my goal is not just to have a spiritual insurance plan someday, right? I want to become like Jesus as much as possible through the work of the power of the Holy Spirit, through the Word of God, through living embodied and in connection to community and somehow to become more and more a person of love over time that can give Jesus away, that can put Jesus on display. Man, I want more of Jesus. I've got to keep asking, who is this? And the question should, should cause all of us to examine all that we are. Who is this to you? Who is Jesus? Jesus is many things to many people, but is he God? And if the answer to that question is yes, then you ask, the next question you have to ask, and I think Mark was going to ask us to ask later on in the scriptures, is do we take him as such? Yeah. If we would say he's God, then, then do we respond as though he actually is? And the things that he says are actually from God. And the ways that he frames life are actually as God frames life. I appreciate, I saw um, some pictures. We almost made it to the baptism for Alex and Liz this week. They got baptized on Thursday night. It was really encouraging. Um, yeah. We were so close. It was like five o'clock. The baptism was at six and, and Charlie comes in with my five-year-old or four-year-old. Uh, he, was, he was a day from turning five on his shoulders and he's like he crashed into the tree and his chin was all bloody and we had to go get stitches and he, we ended up in the ER till 1 a.m. Anyways, that's a total tangent, but 
but, but, but the good news was so amazing. I sat with Alex before midweek and we just looked at scriptures and the brothers were talking with him and, and he just goes, man, if I, now that I see who Jesus is in this way and what it means to make him Lord, he's like, there's nothing that I wouldn't give up. He's like, I'm going to give it all. Whatever it takes, I'm willing to do it all. And nobody was feeding him those lines. That was just his response to Jesus. And he had already been in the Christian worldview and following Jesus for some time as best as he could. And now he's seeing Jesus in a new way. And he's going, who is this? And it changed his life. And it changed Liz's life. And it's changed so many of our lives. And we hope it keeps doing that, right? Jesus has some questions, though, for his followers. He asked them, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? Why are you so afraid? Are you afraid? Are you afraid of placing that kind of commitment to Jesus as God, as the one who does more than just divide the history of humanity but is actually the author of life itself, as Aretha talked about, that has existed always in the triune God and will always exist, that was sent by the Father and resurrected by the Spirit. Do you see Him as God? And if so, what are you afraid of in entrusting yourself to Him as such? Maybe it's the call to give up the things that you've relied on for so long to bring you peace. The coping, the, the substances, the, 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 the things that you get into that actually they're short-term peace because they work in the short run, but they, they don't provide the healing and the peace of God that you're after, really. Is He calling you to trust Him, to have faith that He can heal, that He can bring peace even to those parts of your inner life that just gnaw at you? Maybe it's the call to give up the careerism, the pursuit of, of, of a better and more than your neighbor because you want to build your kingdom someday and to pursue God and to be a better father to your children and more present for your wife and your family. It may mean living in a smaller home or having a smaller budget, but, but might that be what it would look like for you, for God to call you to follow Jesus as though he was God. Maybe it's to deal with your past trauma, to get healing from those wounds that you carry. You know the ones. You know the ones that put you further at a distance from your spouse or from your family or from your loved ones and your friends. The ones that you feel no control over, like storms in your life that make you feel isolated and terrified. Those ones. Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? The disciples in that boat, they were looking for a particular type of Jesus. And they had already kind of framed who Jesus was in their minds. They wanted a savior, really more of a political Messiah figure, to rule over the nations with military and economic and righteous might. To crush Rome and their occupying enemies, you know, and to, to bring back, to resurrect Israel to the land, from the land of the dead, and to restore her to be a city on the hill. They're hearing all this nationalistic language as they're following Jesus. 
They wanted a better Moses. They wanted a more powerful Elijah. And at the end of Mark, when this gospel is done and we're done reading it, guess what's happening? Rome is still ruling. Evil is still happening and winning sometimes. Storms still surge. Disasters and disease have not been removed. Oppression and pain and broken relationships and greed and envy and jealousy and hatred, they still do damage just as they still do in our day. And so if Jesus rules over everything, then why hasn't it all changed? Why hasn't it all been fixed? And the question Mark would put before you is that if you believe and you have faith that Jesus is God, that he rules over the waves and he rules over the demons and he rules over disease and suffering and over death itself, the question he would ask is, does he rule over you? That's the question Mark is trying to get us as readers to wrestle with. Does that Jesus who has all authority, does he have all authority over your life? Mark wants us to see that, that Jesus is more than one who just died for us. He is more than a good teacher. He's more than a good philosophy and a good way to navigate your life. He's the ruler of the cosmos and the heavens. He will not, though take you by force, but he will invite you to live under his authority, to take off your crown and to to put it at his feet and to rest under an authority that rules all and will one day make all things right. And so if Jesus is going to be more than just a self-help guru for our own inner therapeutic needs, if he's going to be more than just a philosophical framework in which to navigate our hopes and ideals of altruism, if he's going to be more than just a historical figure of a man and more than just that kind of spiritual insurance plan, if he's going to be God, if he's going to be one with the Father and the Spirit and divine in every sense, then we have to look at him for more than just our relational momentary challenges and our inner discomfort and go to him in those moments. We have to be those who look and call upon him for the real healing in our lives, the the evil that needs to be removed from our lives, overcoming the storms we can't control and can't control in our community, overcoming the things that just happen in life that we don't have control over. And we have to entrust ourselves even to face death. And trusting ourselves to him even in the face of death. And that may be a terrifying posture to take. You may share in the disciples' posture there and go, this is terrifying. If all that we're seeing about Jesus is true, it's terrifying. And that may be a terrifying posture to take towards faith because it's not safe. And you cannot calculate the outcome. You can't plan out the future in a three to five year plan with Jesus. We don't know what it's going to mean. But if we would just give a space to consider why we're so afraid and wrestle with that question of Jesus a little bit and then choose to wrestle with that question of who is he to us and hopefully choose to entrust ourselves to him, maybe for the first time for some of us in the room or maybe for the first time in a long time or maybe for the third time or the fourth time in our journey or maybe for the 10th time in our journey. 
or the 25th. I don't know. You do the math, right? You know your story. But if Mark is up to something, he's trying to get us to wrestle with that. Who is this to you? And will you let him rule over you? And he says, if you will, you too can experience the good news of this King Jesus and his message in your life. Amen. Amen.